Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Hi, this is Pod Save the UK. I'm Coco Khan. And I'm Nish Kumar. And this week we're asking Labour, you okay, hun? Shouldn't the party this far ahead in the polls be a little bit more bold? And where are all the policies we can get behind? And is it enough to just not be the Tories? <sighs> Hi, Coco. <laughs> Hi, Nish. I wondered who was going to go first there. Um, and you got in there, you got in there faster, which means that you have to now ask me about my week. But actually, I would like to ask about your week, plot twist, there you go. Well, uh, I always ask you about your week because invariably you've done more exciting things than me. I don't think that's true on this particular occasion. Why? Uh, all I've done this week. What have I done this week? Did a lot of cleaning. Barbenheimer? Oh, Barbie. Yes, I saw Barbie. I took my mum. That was very nice. She yeah. loved it. Um, and then, yeah, just been doing some admin and listening to documentaries about sharks. See, even just saying this, I'm feeling like embarrassed. What about you? What have you been doing? Well, I watched Oppenheimer. I, yeah. I, I'd already seen Barbie and I uh, I had a great time, enjoyed both of them. I, there was a part of me when I sat in a full cinema of, well, well, well. Yeah. Where have you people all been when I've been sat in cinemas on my own for all these years? Oh, is it? Yeah, because I'm always there. Yeah. And now everyone's like, oh, let's go to the cinema. But I am genuinely thrilled that people went to the, well, to my, the cinema to watch these movies. My local cinema has closed down. Really? Yeah, it's really sad. And now I must travel very far to go to the cinema. So I'm, I'm glad that people are out in force. I, uh, yeah, I IMAXed both of them. I had a, I, I, I IMAXed Oppenheimer. Um, and I had already seen Barbie and I very much enjoyed myself. So the problem with having this conversation is that some of our listeners might not have seen those films. Yeah, so, so we're we not going to spoil anything. we can't really discuss them. Yeah. Right. We're not going to spoil anything. Okay. But it was weird when the mushroom cloud went off and it was all pink. That was a real surprise. All I would say is that I think I have a lot of Kennedy. Do you think you have Kennedy? I have astronomic high levels of Kennedy. <laughs> I really related to him. <laughs> like, genuinely, I mean that. Like, it was so disappointing to have gone to the most successful film in terms of at least how, how it grossed uh, by a female director of all time and be like, you know who really appeals to me? Ken. <laughs> Ken is the one I really like. <laughs> Whereas I felt the uh, Kate McKinnon's character really spoke to me. Mm-hmm. I, I think any character that describes themselves as smelling of basement mm. is always going to be a character that I strongly relate to. <laughs> I think I, I think I always smell of basement. Oh no, you don't smell of basement. You're like well today at I smell, least first floor. Today, today I smell of deep heat because I injured my neck yesterday playing yeah. five aside football in what I think may be my most middle aged man anecdote. <laughs> I went to save a ball when I was in goal yeah. and I turned too quickly and injured my neck, which is pretty much the most pathetic injury you can sustain in a at least notionally contact sport. I also, you know, I was saying I've been doing a load of cleaning. Yeah. Well, I also have sustained some injuries from cleaning. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it is just a thing that happens, but I put it down to vigour. Because I attack my cleaning like... Well, how do you clean? Do you I, clean I don't really like... What I don't like is like the sort of day-to-day clean. I don't really yeah, like yeah. that. I find that very... I find that drudgery and beneath me. Yeah, what yeah. I really like is get in there. You know it's when I mean? it's really disgusting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, and you scrub it clean and there's chemicals and it's like Ghostbusters. That sort of busting makes me feel good. So when you, without, again, without wishing to give away any spoilers, when you saw an early episode of The Bear series <laughs> two, where there's where one of the episodes revolves around a deep clean, yeah, you yeah. thought, I'd love to be on the inside of this. <laughs> I was like, I'd clean the shit out of that, mate. Get me in there. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, coming up later... We'll be finding out what's going on with Labour with our special guest, Neil Lawson. He's a former speechwriter to Gordon Brown and he's currently being threatened with expulsion from the party. We'll find out why uh, Labour's having a deep clean. Yes, good. Was it a good... Let's just move on. Let's just move on. 
So scrolling through your feed, thumbing through your paper or just flicking on the radio, you'll be surrounded by statistics. Some of them will wash over you and some of them will hit you in the stomach. Some that have hit me in the stomach recently include uh, learning about the Gulf Stream, which is due to collapse earlier than people thought. And uh, Jordan Henderson, who seemingly did not have enough money from his previous Premier League role and is now going to Saudi Arabia. But one statistic that really made me stop in my tracks um, this week was that 131,000 children in England are classed as homeless. They are living in temporary accommodation. That's the highest number since records began. So these range from families sharing hotel rooms to B&B accommodation. There's even been instances of people housed in shipping containers. So to contextualise that number, again, that's enough children to fill London's O2 arena six and a half times. This is kids living out of suitcases. You know, if they're a bed and breakfast, for example, they, they don't have any cooking facilities and, and many of them are really far away from their schools and their, their network. The government figures cover January to March when the number of households in temporary accommodation reached a 25-year high. And it is just, as far as I can see, the logical end of 13 years of awfulness and particularly this this housing crisis and you know we're talking about the uh, child benefit cap it's really really tough for a lot of families and now those who are already struggling are in some very very dire situations yeah with a severe lack of affordable housing soaring rents and this issue of the underfunding in housing benefits so housing benefits been frozen since 2020 in spite of in you know the intervening three years and especially within the last 12 to 18 months, Mm. the kind of spiralling inflation and the cost of living crisis that was already bad and has now accelerated. Um, Research published today by the BBC has found that on average, 20 households compete for every rental property that comes up. That is the sort of statistic that should stop you in your tracks. And it's obviously not just in England. The number of people classed as homeless in Scotland hit an all-time high last year, uh, according to figures that were released in January. In September last year, there were 9,130 children living in temporary accommodation, which over a three-year period is a 31% rise. Something that I'm really worried about is the kind of public health uh, problem with it. I mean, being poor is very, very difficult. It's time-consuming. It's emotionally draining. It's it can be at times traumatic. It's a brewing public health crisis, yeah. not just yeah. in terms of what homelessness means in terms of being registered for a GP, dental care, all this kind of stuff. But there's also, I I think it's a really important thing that you've mm-hmm. highlighted, which is a kind of also a mental health crisis. Oh, that we're sure. A sort of mental health time bomb that we've started the clock on, essentially. Yeah. So back on episode three in May, we spoke to Renters Union Acorn. They were glad to see the government finally introduce their long-promised renters reform bill. The main changes of that were they were kind of long-awaited ban on Section 21, so that's no-fault evictions, as well as preventing landlords refusing to rent to families with children. However, since that time, these... These changes haven't actually been implemented. Section 21 still exists. And so we are still seeing families being evicted um, under this clause. Yeah, that's right. So the bill has been introduced, which is obviously a really positive start. But there's a long way to go before it comes becomes law. And MPs are not actually due to debate it until autumn. And look, we can keep returning to this theme over and over again. Mm. It is very clear what the legislative priorities are for this government. The legislative priorities that they have managed to get through are, you know, the migrants bill. Yeah. They've managed to get through the bill curtailing our right to protest. However, they have left the renters reform bill just to sit on someone's desk, essentially, over the summer holidays. It just shows me where their priorities are. 131,000 children classed as homeless, but they've managed to focus their attentions on what really matters to them, which is demonising immigrants and making it harder for people to claim asylum in this country and restricting people's right to peaceful democratic protest. Oh, absolutely. And it's really hard to... to, to balance that news of the homelessness um, in children at these record levels with the news that came out a little while ago that Michael Gove's department had to give back millions of pounds. His department was in charge of housing. They simply couldn't find any projects to spend the money on. Well, you know, um, we know some, actually. We could probably point you in the direction of, Michael. Look, there's absolutely no doubt that this is a crisis that desperately needs to be addressed um, and should be the number one priority, I would have thought, if children are going homeless of any reasonable government. Um, My fear is that when they come back, they'll spend most of their legislative energy trying to make it illegal to call Rishi Sunak an arsehole. 
That's my concern. Their priorities do not align with what the country mm, needs. Mm-hmm. So the fun rolls on, uh, by which I mean uh, things continue to be terrible. Uh, Europe's continued to burn this week with record temperatures across the continent. And our screens have been filled with images of British tourists fleeing wildfires in Greece, with scientists confirming that the heat waves battering Europe and the US are as a result of human-induced climate change. And with all that going on, it feels deeply ironic that the big takeaway from last week's by-elections in England seems to have been a signal, as we were sort of fearful it might be, uh, that the two main parties are going to slowly edge away from their climate commitments. This time last week, the Tories suffered two monumental by-election defeats, losing majorities of around 20,000 votes. But yet most of the fallout has centred around the one they narrowly hung on to by 495 votes. It's clearly very convenient for Rishi Sunak to have all the debate he uh, be around Labour's Mayor Sadiq Khan's expansion of the ULES policy, which helped the Tories cling on in Uxbridge and Ryslip. So, yeah, basically, that's the zone uh, in London uh, where a green tax is levied on higher polluting uh, cars and vans. Now, obviously, there's not time to go into all of the nuances of this, but obviously it's been brought in by uh, the Labour mayor, Sadiq Khan. Uh, However, he was just continuing a policy that had initially been brought forward by Boris Johnson when he was mayor and an expansion which was ordered by Conservative Minister Grant Shapps when he was the Minister for Transport. Um, but regardless of that, the uh, it, there is a serious concern amongst campaigners that both parties will take this uh, as a sign to water down some environmental commitments or, as David Cameron once memorably put it, cut the green crap in his con- continuing tribute to saying the stupidest fucking things anyone has said in British politics. Well, exactly. And this is the thing, because this policy actually started under a Conservative mayor, you do wonder, is this just a trap? It feels like a trap and it feels like Labour are walking straight into it. Yeah, it feels like a political trap that the Conservatives are setting. And it it reminds me of, there's been a lot of talk uh, in this country uh, about the result of the England cricket match. So England ended up drawing a game uh, with uh, Australia that might have been pivotal in deciding who was going to win the Ashes. Um, and they've done that because of a lot of rainfall. Um, but I would prefer to focus on a section where the series did get away from England, where Australia set them a very obvious trap. They like started bowling the ball short and then putting all their fielders in one position that basically means that the batsman could get caught out mm-hmm. by playing one specific shot. So all you're supposed to do is not play that specific shot and then okay. you just won't get out. Yeah, and seems easy. It was just English batsman after English <laughs> batsman just falling into that. I was watching it live at Lords, just going, this is unbelievable. I was with my friend, uh, the great comedian Ahir Shah, who said it was like the Australians had basically dug a hole put a bunch of leaves over the hole and put a sign next to it that said, there is not a hole here. And then English batsman after English batsman just fell into the hole. And it does feel like um, that the Conservative Party has set a trap where they're going, we want to make this into a a fight about who's more practical around green issues. And the Labour Party has immediately fallen into that trap with uh, Keir Starmer making some comments about Sadiq Khan needing to review the ULES policy. Whereas what Keir Starmer should have been focusing on is the fact that these results were a huge defeat for the Conservative Party, a historic by-election defeat for the Conservative Party. And a a sign that Rishi Sunak, whatever bounce he might have enjoyed when he came into power, has evaporated extremely quickly. And the one win that did happen was a matter of 495 votes and still involved a 7% swing towards the Labour Party. And instead of trumpeting this as a huge victory, and Starmer is giving indications that they might water down the green policy. And one of the first things that he said, which we did actually cover in the kind of mini episode we did in the immediate aftermath of the by-election, was that uh, Sadiq Khan needed to review this policy and that that was the reason that Labour had uh, lost the seat in Uxbridge. We've managed to have a conversation about environmental policy when what we should be talking about is people in this country clearly fucking hate Richie Sunak. Like, it really does... It really does feel like 
Labour has allowed its own success to be derailed. It's hard to imagine what the bottom of politics can be, but it yeah. does feel like every week there is a new low. Um, it just shows how desperate they can be in their messaging. So there was a tweet by uh, Rishi Sunak, not about uh, environmental concerns. This one was about um, essentially bent immigration lawyers uh, who are sort of finagling the rules that we have around genuine immigration and genuine um, asylum applications to get people in. Um, this is based on a Daily Mail investigation where one reporter goes to one or maybe a couple handful at best of immigration lawyers and they find that, you know, for a fee that they will be bent, you know, a handful of lawyers being bent is probably not the most headline thing. But nonetheless, Rishi Sunak tweeted it and said, this is what we're up against. The Labour Party, a subset of lawyers, criminal gangs, they're all on the same side, which is kind of mad when you think about that. If you just break it down in your head, the Labour Party, criminal gangs are all on the same side. He goes on to say that they are propping up a system of exploitation that profits from getting people to the UK illegally. I'm worried that this is another trap, another hole with some uh, leaves over it. And the next thing we're going to hear is uh, Keir Starmer talking about tightening up even further these rules. Yeah, and uh, the concern here is that the Conservative Party has seen that it's enjoyed, and I use this word very loosely and in hugely inverted commas, success by f forcing a conversation to be about single wedge issues that may be relevant to local areas or have a kind of culture warry bent. So they'll try and make the next election be about issues like, uh, you know, is net zero going to bankrupt British people? And also the Labour Party is on the side of criminal gangs. I will say this. I thought the tweet from Sunak, I have deeply low expectations of the Conservative Party. And even I thought that was plumbing a new depth. And Sunak's whole reputation that he's trying to build is around essentially being a, a kind of sensible, reasonable middle manager that's come in and is supposed to try and do things. But clearly that's not cutting through. So now he's just falling back on the Conservative Party's tactic for the last sort of half decade, really. And at this point, we are, and we keep restating this, 13 years into Conservative rule. The Conservative Party should have some achievements that they can trumpet from that period of being in charge. But they have none because they've spent 13 years vandalising this country's institutions, its social safety net, and even some of its cultural institutions. They have nothing to say that they can positively reflect on as an achievement that they've bequeathed to the country. So they will just keep feeding more bile to the British electorate. And it is up to the Labour Party to avoid falling into these political traps that they're sending, setting for them. If you're looking for an easy to understand breakdown of what the F is going on in the world, then Pod Save the World is the podcast for you. Each week, Pod Save the World hosts Ben Rhodes and Tommy Vitor break down the biggest international news and foreign policy developments from topics like the strange disappearance of China's foreign minister to the last second drama over bringing Sweden into NATO. Listen to new episodes of Pod Save the World every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. And coming up, our special guest, Neil Lawson. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware. The New York Times calls BritBox the best of British telly. Stream acclaimed original series, including Payback, starring Peter Mullen. Stonehouse, starring Matthew McFadden, and Archie, the man who became Cary Grant, starring Jason Isaacs. Plus, discover powerful new series like Three Little Birds and the return of BAFTA-winning drama Time, starring Bella Ramsey, Tamara Lawrence, and Jodie Whittaker. Stream the best of British TV only on BritBox. Start a free trial at BritBox.com. So something of a recurring theme on Pod Save the UK so far has been a growing sense of unease uh, among Labour voters like ourselves about the current trajectory of the Labour Party. It regularly crops up in our inbox too. David sent this email to us at psuk at reducedlistening.co.uk. He says, I always vote left-leaning, but not 
always Labour. More and more, I'm finding it hard to vote Labour. Keir Starmer said Labour was doing something very wrong after the ULES-linked Oxbridge loss. Uh, Dave goes on, this man is fucking mad. Recently, he said he needed to make hard choices. Well, the hard choice is to implement a policy to help the environment and help those who are typically poorer suffering the impact of pollution, even if it's not popular. Uh, we also had a, a message on WhatsApp from Munakiso. Uh, they said Sir Starmer's five-point plan is win the election, winning the election, winning the election, winning the election, winning the election. Voters that respond to tough choices and Union Jack seem to be so sexy to my party right now. And Richard Hooper, 95, tweeted us to say, I'm just sick of Sir Keir licking the boots of Conservatives rather than actually standing for any of the things he ran on. There have been repeated U-turns on progressive policies. Uh, Keir Starmer's aping at times of Conservative rhetoric and the recent refusal to scrap a benefit cap that could lift children out of poverty and an apparent purge of party members who don't toe the line. So should Labour be braver, given its huge lead in the polls? And is the party in danger of shooting itself in the foot by focusing on internal squabbles? Lots to discuss then uh, with our guest, Neil Lawson, who's a former speechwriter to Gordon Brown, founder of the centre-left pressure group Compass and presenter of their podcast, which is called It's Bloody Complicated. Uh, I felt the need to say it's called that <laughs> rather than a, it sounding like a pejorative statement by me about the podcast. Um, Neil's been in the news because he's been threatened with expulsion from the party for tweeting in favour of tactical voting. Uh, Neil, welcome to Pod Save the UK. It's a real pleasure to be here. Great. Well, listen, Neil, you know, we've been talking a lot in previous weeks and I'm sure you've seen all the headlines about the purge of the left in the Labour Party. But am I right in thinking that you're a bit of an outlier in that? In the scale of Tony Blair to Jeremy Corbyn, where would you put yourself, Neil? <laughs> Uh, neither position I would place myself. I see the, the attributes of Tony Blair and I see the attributes of, of Jeremy Corbyn. And actually, I think if you put those two together, you might get quite an interesting political mix, which might be the sort of thing we can present to a country. But Labour can't do that. It's either you're one thing or you're the other. And if you're the other, we hate you. And if, you know, it's, and we go around in these terrible things. We should have a politics where people from different positions in the party can talk to each other, learn from each other and develop an offer that doesn't just win office, but wins power. And that's what I'm really interested in. Both of those things, not one or the other, but both. Also, that was sort of the ticket that Keir Starmer ran for the leadership on, essentially. It was a sort of, maybe I interpreted it wrong, but certainly his leadership pitch seemed to be a lot of the popular Corbynite policies, but presented with a sort of Blairite sheen. I mean, was that your reading of it, Neil? Yeah, it, it, well, it kind of it kind of was niche, and um, and and then the ladder was kicked away very quickly. Um, and you you know you begin to think a little bit cynically. You can't help it about what was this really about? Um, because I think that's exactly the offer that the country needs. We need some pretty bold policies, but they've got to execute be executed properly. Um, by executed, I don't mean shoot everyone. I mean, you know, put into practice. I mean, I'll be the one who's being executed as they try well, and hound me out. Well, and that's actually what's happening to you at the moment, actually. For our listeners, if you wouldn't mind, what is going on with you? You're currently suspended from the Labour Party, is that right? And then you're under investigation. I'm not, I am under investigation. Yeah, I've, I've retreated on holiday to Portugal, which I think is a neutral country and they, can't extradite, <laughs> and they can't extradite me. I think if I stay in Portugal and never come home, they'll never be able to throw me out of the Labour Party. So I'm, um, uh, yeah, so I've been accused of breaking a rule that says you can't advocate for a party other than Labour, which I understand. I've been a member of the Labour Party for 44 years. I understand that rule. I wasn't advocating for that. I was saying that cross-party cooperation, which is the thing that Compass, my organisation, is all about, there's a progressive majority in this country. There's always been a progressive majority in this country. If it acted, you know, properly together, the Tories would probably, you know, hardly ever, if ever, get in. So all we're saying is that let's work with Greens and Liberal Democrats, you know, in order to, uh, uh, you know, demonstrate that that progressive alliance is there and you get progressive policies. I was just saying it's good when Liberal Democrats and Greens work together. Um, and for that sin, um, they're saying that I could be sent out of the party, put on the naughty step, you know, had my head chopped off. If I'm found guilty, then I am, uh, you know, thrown out of the party immediately. And I've put in a legal position to say, look, this is nonsense. I wasn't doing that. I was just saying that, you know, if you broadly agree with Liberal Democrats and Greens and we could build that progressive majority and that progressive alliance, this would be a good thing for the country to defend, you know, progressive policies, which is what we need. Do you think the issue was that the specific seat that it was a 
tweet that Leila Moran had done um, about Lib Dem and Green cooperation. Do you think the issue was that it was a, a Labour seat? And is that a problem, do you think? Yeah. Well, it, it, it's a problem. It's a problem for them. Nish. I mean, I'll be absolutely honest. When I when Layla asked me to retweet this as an example of progressive, you know, politic grown up politics working together, I just did it. Um, I didn't look at the, the details, and maybe right. that you know that's my fault. But I was not advocating about the particulars of the sea. I was advocating for the principle that people who broadly agree with each other get, should should work together. And the, the, just a quick backstory to that seat was that Layla won the seat because the Greens stood aside for her. She won narrowly by a kind of less than the Green vote normally is. So we, def- you know, they defeated a Tory MP in that seat because of proper cross-party cooperation. And the payback for the Greens for standing aside them was in this council seat that the Liberal Democrats would stand aside, you know, for them, which is kind of fair dues, you know, quid pro quo. Um, I was just endorsing that general kind of let's work together, let's not split the progressive vote, let's not let the Tories through. Sixty-two seats in in in. 2019 were lost, where the progressive vote was bigger than the regressive vote because it splits. This is madness. There would be no Boris Johnson. There would be no Liz Truss. There would be none of this stuff if if progressives could learn to work together and beat their common enemy, which is the Tory party. So I was advocating for that, not the specifics of that seat. I certainly wasn't saying vote against the Labour candidate. I would never do that. I know the rules. But they don't like people like me, or some people at the very top of the party don't like people like me talking about progressive alliances and what that infers in terms of a new politics, coalitions, uh, proportional representation and all of that. And I think they're trying to nip it in the bud. Well, that's what I'm, I'm glad you said that because that's what I thought when I first saw this story, not least because the tweet was from 2021. That was quite a while ago and only now actions being taken. Um can I ask, I hope this doesn't sound glib, but who did you upset, Neil? <laughs> who did you upset that they had to go, they raked through all your old tweets? This what was going think, on? Like, it does just seem, that seems like it has to be the most logical explanation, only because the, uh, it, the thought that somebody at Labour Party HQ is just combing through everyone's <laughs> tweets, it feels like they should have better well, things to do. Well, it's a, it's a, I, you would have thought so, given, you know, there's an election in just over a year's time yeah. and the, their resources, resources could be deployed a bit better. And I feel a bit sorry. I mean, in a piece I wrote in The Guardian, I said, you know, I send my love to my accusers because it's kind of like, have you got nothing better to do? Is your life so sad <laughs> that you're sitting in the basement scrolling down my rubbish tweets, you know. <laughs> um, so, so I don't know. I don't know how much from the top or how particular it was. To, but even if it's just someone in the party with the power to walk into the, they call it the compliance office, which is just wonderful. Um, into the into the compliance office, and said, kill him, right? Drive by and shoot this person. And look, I'm you know a reasonably seasoned political operator. I've got access to the media. I've got access to the Guardian. I've got lots of friends, lots of colleagues, or whatever. I'm fine. I can look after myself. It's all the other people that they pick on who don't have access to the Guardian that just get shot in the basement and their bodies get dragged out the back you know for reasons that we'll never ever know and so I just thought well sod this for a game of soldiers they told me in the letter I got that you couldn't say anything that everything was confidential but I thought I'm not having this in the quiet I'm not having it in the basement I'm not going to be shot in the back of the head because I don't want anyone else to be I'm going to make a bit of a fuss about this and say look this isn't on it's not on for me it's not on for them it's not on for progressive politics because what they're trying to say is let's ignore that progressive majority. Let's not start from that positive position. Let's go to Rupert Murdoch's champagne summer party and bend our knee to those people and give those people what they want under first past the post and the domination of the media and rich donors and the swing voters. And that's not going to set us up to do the things we need to do in government. When you've got this progressive majority, which one do you want? I know which one I want and which one I'm going to defend. So can I ask you, I want to talk about, I mean, tactical voting in general, right? Isn't there an argument that it actually deprives people of their democracy if certain candidates step down because you end up voting for someone that you don't actually really believe in? How? What, what do you think tactical voting means in terms of just pure democracy? Well, I think the real big problem of our democracy is our voting system, first past the post, which kind of says that, you know, you, you can only vote for the least worst option. 
You know, I mean, some people think Labour's the bee's knees, but not everyone does. And where you don't, if you're a Green or you're a Liberal Democrat or you're something like something else, you have to hold your nose. Seventy percent of votes at the 2019 general election did not count. They didn't count because your candidate didn't win or because, um, you know, your candidate had already won by a landslide, you know, and then your votes didn't make any difference. Seventy percent of our votes don't count. So that's the real problem. And so people try and game the system under the rules. They vote tactically. They campaign tactically to try and get round and get the least worst option. And the bit that I really don't like, Coco, is the, is the fact that the, the hypocrisy of our political classes, particularly on the Labour side, who want everyone to vote tactically, but they don't want to talk about it. They don't make an effort. They didn't, Labour made no effort in Somerton and Froome, you know, by-election the other week, quite rightly, because it would be stupid to do that. They've got an implicit deal with the Liberal Democrats not to kind of, you know, fight on each other's turf in by-elections. That's a sensible thing to do. Well, let us all into that secret. Let's open that up and say that our system isn't working and signal really clearly that we should be working together across the piece. I cut my teeth in the run-up to 1997, and I watched the way that Tony Blair and, and Paddy Ashdown worked together. They set an agenda, and they divided up the country, and they worked together and they had a grid together and they attacked the Tories together and they won. We should be doing much more of that stuff now, not least because the challenges of now are so much greater than the challenges of, of then. And I really worry that Labour might fall over the line first and then not have a clue what to do. And then, then the political problems will really start. OK, devil's advocate though. If we are PR, then it's progressives. Famously, progressives like to argue with each other. Could we be sure that if we had PR that anything would get done? Oh, we can't be sure of anything, obviously. But I think any any future politics is one that is going to have to be negotiated by all of us rather than rather than imposed. We've seen the last 13 years of Tory rule under first past the post. We've seen absolute chaos. We've seen nothing done. We've seen huge majorities in Parliament, you know, having no legislative power whatsoever. It can't be any worse than any of that. You look across the continent, it's not perfect. There's no nirvana. But at least people have the ability to form alliances, to you know, to go into elections and speak their own truth, and then form different groups afterwards. You know, and, and I want to explode all of our rigid, old, industrial, binary, adversarial, short-term political system and give us a chance of something more mature. And that's what this is all about. But I mean, in Spain, we there are dangers to the proportional representation system as well. Because I mean, in Spain, we sort of came within a wisp, you know, a very, very narrow margin of the far right party having a, a severe influence. I mean, that's something that I think it probably rightly scares quite a lot of people, progressive people in this country. I un I really understand that, Nish. A and democracy is democracy, yeah. right? You have to you have to accept that people you don't like are going to win sometimes, you know, in some places. And my real, real worry is not whether PR represents everyone's voice, which is what we should have in politics. It's whether we get a narrow Labour win at the next election with no broadly based support for it and no broadly based progressive policy agenda. And if it fails, it won't just be progressive politics which might fail. It may be people's you know, uh, confidence and belief in, de in democracy. And that's my huge worry, that what we're opening up is a big, big slide to the authoritarian populist right if we don't get our politics right. At the moment, we're not, I, I fear. Um, and you know, if we want to remake our country in the way that it needs to be remade, a new society is going to have to be done on a new politics. And so I think the stakes are really, really high at the moment. Can I just go back to 1997 briefly and something you mentioned already? Um, you were involved, very involved with the Labour Party in the lead up, lead up to that election. And you played a pretty central role in this conversation between Paddy Ashton and Tony Blair that you talked about. Can you just take us back and talk us through the mechanics of that, how that came to be and what it involved practically in terms of the 97 election? Yeah, so there's a big, long conversation between, in particular, between Labour and Liberal Democrats and, the, and right up to the very top of the party. There was a really strong personal relationship between Tony Blair and Paddy Ashdown, brokered by the... Um, by the likes of Roy Jenkins, and they got on really well and they were seen to get on really well. Underneath that, there was kind of 
policy detail being thrashed out by uh, Robin Cook on issues of democracy alongside uh, Robert McLennan. And then on the operational side, I was able to help bring together Peter Mandelson and now Lord Renard, Chris Renard from the Liberal Democrat side. And we met in a, you know, a secret dining room in a secret hotel and, and they kind of pulled out lists from their kind of pockets about where their target seats were and the lists were exchanged. So they knew whether to target their resources. And then somehow the list found its way to the uh, to the Mirror newspaper and the, in, they did a double spread, you know, back in this is back in before social media and, and sort of the Internet. And they did a big double page spread on this is if you want to get rid of the Tories, this is where you should vote. This is how you should vote to the benefit of both sides. So it was a kind of, you know, and then through the election campaign, they kind of campaigned together. They shared grid information. They attacked the Tories on the same day in the same way, etc. Um, so it really worked and it really worked in that pincer movement. And I kind of remember that and learn from that and think, isn't it good when progressives work together? And my word, wouldn't it be good if we could do that again now? Can I ask you, were you surprised when you received that letter saying that uh, someone had gone through your old tweets and seen seen this uh, this contraband opinion? <laughs> were you surprised? Did it surprise you? I'd been out to lunch with a friend and had a nice Friday afternoon lunch and I come back and switched on my computer and saw this disputes thing. I was completely flabbergasted. It was kind of a real a real shock um, after 44 years. It doesn't say, dear Neil, after 44 years of continued membership and being the branch secretary, the district secretary, the election agent, the advisor, the speechwriter or whatever, we're sorry to inform you that you, know, you may have slipped up and we're investigating this. It was just like straight in with someone's alleged you've done this, you've been accused of this, you've got 14 days to make your case and whatever else. So it came, it, uh, in some respects, you know, I'm quite critical for the reasons I've been stating of the Labour leadership. I was of Corbyn, I am of Starmer. Um, you know, and I continue to be until it gets, you know, into a position where I think we can, you know, help the country in the way in the way it needs. But yeah, I was sort of shocked. And then I was kind of cross. Well, oh, I might want to leave at some stage, but you're not you're not running me out. You know, it's 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 my party. I've been, you know, belonged to it all of these years. So yeah, I was, you know, I, I was a bit shocked. And then I got into say, right, I'm gonna do something about this. I'm not I'm not taking this, I'm not having this, you know. So then I then I called, you know, I went on the bat phone and called my friends. To what extent is this climate of, um, you know, members being pulled up on things, is this a particularly Starmer, like a Starmer issue? I mean, obviously, like you said, you've been a member for 44 years. You probably have a longer view than I do. Is, is this a unique moment in history? Well, the, that 44 years, the worst thing, the most shocking thing about this whole thing for me, Coco, is being called a veteran. You know, this is this is really <laughs> rocking me to my core. That I relate I'm, to that. I'm now described as a, as a, as a veteran. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I've been through, I've been, a, you know, I've been on, I'm on the source so-called soft left of the party, the sort of centre left of the party. I've been involved in faction fights and disputes all my political life in the Labour Party. I know they go on, the right hit the left and then the left hit the right backwards. And the bit about the soft left was always been, hey guys, can we kind of learn how to live together? You've both got a point. If we put your two points together, the bit that I was saying about Blair and Corbyn earlier, we might be able to meld those into something interesting. But the scale of what's happening now under the under the kind of Starmer regime, you know, they've had a near they've had two near death experiences. Firstly, when Ed Miliband beat David Miliband, and that kind of rocked them to the core. And then, as they saw it, Ed, you know, opened the gates up to Corbynism, and then that really scared them about their hold on which they see as their party. So they're really determined, I think, to make sure that nothing like that can ever happen again. So I think some of this is about making the party a hostile environment for people who believe in things that they don't. Wow. Now, every every party has to police its borders. If you're anti-Semitic, if you're, you know, hate speeching, if you're, of course, of course, decide, you know, what where your boundaries are and police it. But within that broad church, we have to be able to have a range of opinions because only with a range of opinions can you meet the complexity of the world that you face. If they narrow everything down to one small faction who think they're right about anything you've got no ability to as i say meet that 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 complexity pluralism really matters because when you have a plural politics you see all the points and all the angles and understand it and get the feedback and get the criticism which is what politics needs what would it mean to you to be expelled from the Labour Party? I, I know you don't enjoy the term veteran, just as I don't enjoy being referred to as an uncle by my nephew. But uh, what would it mean to you uh, to be expelled from the party that you've, you know, been involved with for 44 years? Um, 
it would really, really hurt. I've, you know, I've served the party at every every level. I've served it loyally in in, in my interpretation of, of its best interests. I understand that not everyone agrees with me, particularly about progressive alliance stuff. Although virtually everyone, apart from a few, about three people at the top, agree with me about proportional representation. So it really, it would really, it would really hurt. You know, I joined when I was sixteen. As I say, I've never ever left over anything, and maybe I should have done over Iraq or some of the civil liberties stuff. You know, so it would be painful. It'd be painful to leave my colleagues and my friends who I've worked with. And what's been horrible is that, you know, people have, have emailed me and said, I've left because of their treatment of you. And I don't want anyone to leave the Labour Party over me. I'm definitely not worth it, you know. But if, if they do throw me out, I will continue to advocate exactly the same, which I think is hopeful, plural, beautiful, loving, caring, kind, ambitious politics, you know, because... I mean, the, the whole party thing is kind of, you know, feeling its constraints and feeling like it's taking us up a cul-de-sac. We need to, that's why I want PR, to blow all of this stuff open so that we can have a politics and do, you know, do what we need. So I, I will be really disappointed, you know, because I think the Labour Party is the biggest tent in the progressive campsite, you know, and really matters. And I want to influence it and make it better. So I hope they don't throw me out, but it won't stop me, you know, wh whatever they do. I've voted Labour my whole life. I've very... I'd say probably never voted for the leadership. I vote for the movement, the tent, all those different voices. I wonder if, if they don't have this big tent, how many uh, votes they'll they'll lose. Well, I think I think that's a danger, and I think what what Labour tends to do is take people for granted. It took Scotland for granted. It took the Red Wall for granted. Now I think it's taking kind of progressive, green, cosmopolitan, ambitious, hopeful voters for granted. And that you know we saw in those by-elections, the Green Party increased its vote in all three seats. They are increasingly looking like an attractive offer to a lot of people. And if you get even a slither of people stopping voting Labour and voting Green, you know then it. Could could really damage their electoral prospects. Um, but this isn't just about electoral, you know, they should be talking to the Green Party. You know, they should be. I mean, I, I listened to your podcast the other week with, with Murray Black, and oh, it broke my heart to think that someone with such a generous, kind, funny, you know, form of socialist politics is giving up and leaving. They'll be jumping for joy that Caroline Lucas is giving up in Brighton. She's a fantastic politician and a fantastic person. And it's going to take all of those people and more to meet the climate, cost of living, AI, whatever crisis. So the Labour Party has really got to learn this. It's now the 21st century. You've got to be much bigger, much broader, much more generous, much more open, you know, because that narrow, bunkered, tribal, only we know best and everyone else has got what Bayer thing is not going to work. My final question for you, Neil, and it is well within your democratic rights to not answer this question, uh, <laughs> but if there was an election tomorrow, would you still vote Labour? Oh, Nish, I always, I always vote Labour, but I think, I think that people should look around them yeah. and I think that they should look and see who is the best place, you know, alternative to beat the Conservative, um, but they shouldn't do that, you know, and, and that works for Labour people who should think about where they live, but it also should be about, you know, Liberal Democrats and Greens thinking about voting Labour, and Labour benefits much more from tactical voting, but don't just... Don't just give your vote. Try and put a price on your vote. Try and make sure that whoever you vote for tactically, put pressure on them to support PR, to support a Green New Deal, to crack down on stupid ideas like, you know, the two-child limit on, you know, child benefit, so that we're not giving these people a free pass just to come back because it's such a rotten system and you have to hold your nose and go for the least worst option. I think everyone's tired of that politics. Everyone wants something genuine, authentic, you know, and hopeful. And, you know, as I say, the country, people and party activists are way ahead of their leaders. Let's keep running as hard as we can to a new politics for a new society, you know, and then we might just get there. Thank you very much, Neil Lawson. We really appreciate you taking the time. Lovely to see you both. Good luck with all that. I keep listening. It's a wonderful podcast and great to join you Thank for a bit. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye, guys. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware. Shop chef-quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com. 
I'm Jessica Reeves, and I've been analyzing and reporting on extremism for the last 10 years, and I have the gray hair to prove it. Subscribe to our podcast, Extremely, for an always eye-opening look inside the daily work of exposing, fighting, and disrupting all facets of extremism. My co-host, Oren Siegel, and I explore this ever-changing landscape and bring you stories of people and places impacted by extremism, those who fight to protect our communities, and those who offer new perspectives. You can find Extremely wherever you listen to podcasts. This week's Pod Save the UK Hero and Villain of the Week both centre around the Home Office. That's a pretty big clue as to who our villain is. But first, my hero are the children. I mean, my hero is always the children (laughs) in general, but these particular kids at St. Gerard's Catholic Primary School in Birmingham. So you may remember that Robert Jenrick was our villain a couple of weeks ago after he ordered cartoons on the walls of an asylum centre to be painted over. They were meant to make any children brought to the centre feel welcome. And uh, yeah, he painted over them. So boys and girls from St. Gerard's aged eight and nine gathered up more than 100 pictures and stories for the children, which were sent to the Kent Intake Centre. There's a lovely picture on the BBC for beaming children holding up their pictures. They've got all the children's icons. They've got Pikachu. They've got this minion. I don't know the name of the character of this minion. They all look the same to me. Uh, That's the point of them, isn't it? Are you racist against minions? What do you mean? They all look the same to me. You know what? Well, well, well. Did you have this with your mum? What? That she got really into minions? No. I think that was a phenomena that happened with parents where they got really into like minion emojis, minion cards. That skipped past Miss Kamar. Yeah, my, I don't think my parents know what a minion is. Right. I don't even know if my mum has actually seen any of the Minions movies, but there's something about the Minion right. that really chimed with her. And she was always sending Minion gifts and giving Minion gifts and yeah. like cards and stuff. And I anecdotally spoke to some of my other uh, millennial friends about this, and they also pointed oh, really? to the, the Minion mother phenomena. Um, But anyway, I digress. So in these uh, lovely pictures, we've got, you know, all the legends. Um, My producers just told me this minion is called Kevin. So Kevin the Minion, uh, Pikachu, Minnie and Mickey. Um, It's just a lovely, lovely story where, uh, you know, even at that sort of tender age, they can see an unfairness and see an injustice and they, they want to correct it, which really sort of speaks to, you know, just the innate human ability for compassion. So there's a, a lovely quote here from eight-year-old Ophelia. She told the BBC, it made me feel really sad and angry because some people in the world aren't being very nice to them and I think they should be welcomed everywhere. Adorable. Couldn't agree more, Ophelia. Absolutely adorable. At the opposite end of that spectrum, uh, my villain of the week is someone who, I mean, I guess the subtext of every one of these episodes is that she's the villain of the week, but uh, it's the Home Secretary, Suella Braverman. Um, A judge has found that she acted unlawfully in, and brace yourself for this, withholding payments of £3 a week to provide healthy food for children aged one to three and to pregnant women who are seeking asylum. Uh, So asylum seekers are actually not allowed to work uh, for the first year that their claim is being considered. And after that, uh, only those on the government's shortage occupation list are allowed to work. So many asylum seekers are actually completely dependent on the Home Office for their survival in the form of payments of £45 a week if they're in shared housing or £9.10 a week if they're living in a hotel. Hotel. Among the cases in which asylum seekers struggle to provide basics for their children owing to delays in support payments, the judge said one faced an existence which was in many ways wretched, particularly for a young child who went without on many occasions and in another suffered very saddening circumstances where the parent was reduced to asking in shops for leftover food and that the children had become lethargic and visibly thinner. So Suella Braverman has acted unlawfully. I, I, I mean... We could almost just record this and drag and drop it in every week. Suella Braverman's a fucking disgrace. I am increasingly finding it so embarrassing to be a British Indian when Suella and Rishi Sunak are walking around being the most public figureheads of my community and being absolutely unacceptable people. And all I can say is, I think I'm starting to feel how white people should have felt for the last 500 years. Just broadly embarrassed. (laughs) on behalf of my community. (laughs) Now, we won't be here next week either because just like our politicians, we're having our own little summer recess, aren't we, Nish? Yes, that's right. We're going on holiday. Um, I am going to, I imagine, spend a lot of time just sleeping in front of my sofa. (laughs) 
That's a holiday for in me. In front of your sofa, not on the sofa. No, sometimes I just lie on the floor in front of it. Like a I dog. don't even make it to the sofa like a dog. <laughs> I'm t- I get so lazy that I can't even be bothered to mount furniture. Oh, no. That sounds like a dog just with depression. Lying dude. on the floor. Yeah. Well, like, yeah. it's not. A dog with depression is not a million miles away from me. Oh, God. Oh God. Well, look, we, we can have a chat about that um, off air. Um, I'm going on honeymoon. Yeah. Um, and every time I tell anyone that, they're like, didn't you get married two years ago? Yes, correct. I did, but I got married during COVID and so you couldn't travel anywhere. And uh, I I am a great believer in eking things out. I'm going to have my 25th birthday in about two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Keep the joy going. Make it last longer. It makes sense. (laughs) Uh, If the thought of no Uncle Nish or Auntie Coco for two weeks is making you feel a bit panicky, Don't worry, Uh, we'll be off next week. But then the week after, we've got a special episode coming into the feed, which is a fascinating chat with the author and campaigner, Gina Martin, whose brave and tireless efforts led to a new law to criminalise upskirting. She's got a new book out about having difficult political conversations with people in your life. Look out for that. That's dropping on August the 10th. And then we're back as usual on August the 17th. In the meantime, please get in touch with us by emailing psuk at reducedlistening.co.uk. We would uh, love to hear from you. We'd also love to hear your voices. So why not send us a voice note on WhatsApp? Our number is 07514644572. Internationally, that's plus four four seven five one four six four four five seven two. We're always happy uh, and excited to hear from our international listeners and to find out what questions you have for us about weird British things that we've just forgotten to explain. Uh, if you're new to the show, remember to hit follow on your app and you'll get a new episode every week. I like I like that line that you said, we'd love to hear your voices. It's quite yeah. intimate, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Well, I guess they hear our voices, so it's only fair. Yeah, I mean, I think of these podcasts as very, very long, high-produced voice notes. <laughs> <laughs> I would just say here like oh sorry I, I forgot to hold the button let's make it real um, and just finally the British Podcast Awards has a public vote the listener's choice and if you'd like to vote for us it's free and easy to do just go to uh, www. do people still, still say that anymore www. I think everybody knows no, I think isn't people it? just go jump please straight please go in. to the world wide web uh, and go to British fire up AOL <laughs> yeah open that Firefox guys um, for britishpodcastawards.com forward slash voting anyone can vote it's really quick it's really easy we would really really like it um, so yeah maybe that'd be cute um, and yes once again the address is britishpodcastawards.com forward slash voting and if they have an award for podcast that most feels like a voice note from two of your craziest friends <laughs> we are surely a shoe in Pod Save the UK is a reduced listening production for Crooked Media thanks to senior producer Musty Aziz and digital producer Alex Bishop additional production assistance was from Annie Keats thought. Video editing was by David Kaplovitz and the music is by Fasilis Fotopoulos. Thanks to our engineer, David Dargahi. The executive producers are Louise Cotton, Dan Jackson, Madeline Herringer and Michael Martinez. Watch us on the Pod Save the World YouTube channel. Follow us on Twitter and TikTok where we're at Pod Save the UK or on Instagram through the Crooked Media channel. And don't forget to hit subscribe for new shows every Thursday on Spotify, Amazon or Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. People think the new fresh fragrances from Glade are fresher than fresh, like artist Priscilla. This smells like houses in the Hampton Champagne toast down in Brazil Smells like anything you think could happen Probably will Explore the new Glade Fresh collection today.